The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Kris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Lindsey Graham is guilty of stochastic terrorism and he must be held accountable for it. He is also a worthless, gutless, useless liar. Quote, I reject violence, he said in a speech in Charleston yesterday, a day after invoking violence as a direct threat to this country and against the Department of Justice when it prosecutes Trump. Quote, I reject violence. I'm not calling for violence, but the bottom line is there will be a lot of upset people if Trump is charged. So what? Take your upset and shove it, Lindsay. There is the law, and then there is Donald Trump. We cannot have both. There is America, and then there is Donald Trump. We cannot have both. And you, Senator Graham, are defiling your office and spitting on the Constitution of the United States when you oh so cleverly phrase your call to violence, your threat of violence, your promise of violence in the classic outlines of stochastic terrorism. You say it with plausible deniability while people hear your words. And tomorrow or next week or next month, we have another attack on the FBI or the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers attack some gathering of vulnerable people. And you can say, I reject violence. I'm not calling for violence again after others have committed the violence for you 
on your behalf, following your instructions, and pursuant to your dreams. Tell me, Lindsey Graham, where exactly in the soundbite from Fox News Channel Sunday did you reject violence? If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Where is the rejection of riots in the streets? Where is even the tone of disapproval about riots in the streets? You're full of crap, Graham. When Lindsey Graham had the audacity to pretend he was rejecting violence yesterday, he told that same audience in Charleston. Again, he invoked Hillary Clinton. Quote, America cannot live with this kind of double standard. Double standard. This sniveling, bootlicking, unprincipled, cowardly, stochastic terrorist Lindsey Graham, the same one who said of Donald Trump on the night of January 6, 2021, quote, all I can say is count me out. Enough is enough. Well, it wasn't enough, was it? No need for Trump to count you out, right? You're back whoring for him, ready to encourage his fascists to try January 6th again in defense of this scumbag Trump. The double standard is in your own addled brain, Lindsey Graham. You want to stay in the Senate? You get down on your knees and apologize to America for what you have said, for what you have threatened, for what you have tried to will into existence. When Trump is prosecuted, if there is any violence from the slime who support him, you helped cause it, Lindsey Graham. A spokesman for Mr. Graham, Kevin Bishop, writes the New York Times, emphasized on Monday that the senator was making a prediction, not a threat. My ass. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. A prediction, not a threat, because, of course, he rejects violence. Though Lindsey Graham didn't say it there, did he? And Lindsey Graham's words didn't sound like it. And Lindsey Graham is a goddamned opportunistic liar. And furthermore, this is all fodder for the worst stochastic terrorist of them all. Trump posted the clip of Graham on Sunday night. Trump posted an article yesterday comparing the FBI at Ruby Ridge to the Gestapo. We have been here already. Ruby Ridge and the idea that the FBI was the bad guy sent Timothy McVeigh into the Murrah building in Oklahoma City and 168 people died. Riots in the streets. They are all symbolically gathering to start those riots already. They are just waiting for an excuse. And the dumbest part of all this is some kind of idea behind which Lindsey Graham hides that if Trump isn't prosecuted, there won't be fascist violence? Because Lindsey Graham's words were not just stochastic for the next Timothy McVeigh's, they were stochastic for Trump himself. Trump cheered by the thought of American streets running red with American blood. He has now demanded to be made president immediately buoyed by Lindsey Graham's mere 
prediction of violence. He has declared that it has been conclusively proved the FBI, quote, buried the Hunter Biden laptop story, knowing that if they didn't, and he puts the next part in quotes, as if it's some kind of official finding rather than his own delusion. Quote, Trump would have easily won the 2020 presidential election. Unquote. This is massive fraud and election interference at a level never seen before in our country. Remedy? Declare the rightful winner or, and this would be the minimal solution, declare the 2020 election irreparably compromised and have a new election immediately. The rightful winner was Joe Biden and the rest of you who don't think so can go to hell. How's that? So he wants to be named President Thursday. Sounds crazy to you? Of course it does. Trump is one step shy of becoming the crazy woman who has declared herself Queen of Canada and has encouraged people to try to arrest police. And last month, she named a king and queen of America who work for her or something. But so what if Trump is now fully insane? Does it matter to the next Timothy McVeigh? Trump is an excuse for people who dream of killing other people to try to kill other people. Dozens, hundreds, thousands lash out in rage because they cannot get their own way and their messiah of self-obsession has given them the excuse. And because of the Trumps and because of the right-wing commentators and because of Tucker Carlson and because of Lindsey Graham, somebody will try to reenact Oklahoma City or 9-11 or January 6th or God knows what next time. Meanwhile, some facts. As expected, the special master suit figures to backfire on Trump. The Department of Justice advised the Trump-appointed judge in Florida that it had essentially finished separating out any attorney-client materials that might have been scooped up inadvertently on August 8th when FBI agents rescued the documents Trump stole. And, as also previously reported here, there may be a sting in the DOJ tail. It has also told the judge that its response to that Trump suit could extend up to 40 pages in order to, quote, adequately address the legal and factual issues in the Trump filing. Somebody's going to get spanked, and that may make the entire pointless meandering into the courtroom of Judge Eileen, I owe my job to Trump, canon worth it. And several news organizations say the FBI began working with the intelligence community in May to examine the classified documents Trump took and returned and to determine whether national security has been damaged or threatened and whether human assets have been put at risk. And inside that story, we may finally have an explanation for why authorities have seemingly moved so slowly and certainly so stealthily these last few months, simply to give our double agents around the world the chance to get out alive. Riots in the street from the people for whom law and order is a brand name, a catchphrase. They are going to go to war because Trump is going to prison for outing the people who are really doing the law and order on behalf of this nation, on behalf of them around the world. It makes you want to vomit on Lindsey Graham. One glimmer of good news. Trump's plant inside the Secret Service has quit. Tony Ornato went from agent to Trump's deputy chief of staff, back to leading the training at the Secret Service as if that job boomerang were somehow okay. He was also a quoted witness in the January 6th hearings. We'll see where that goes. Now he says he's retiring after 25 years to go into the private sector. Yes, sir, you're retiring. 
He claims he is not going to go work for Trump, but one of Trump's ex-staffers said on CNN last night, expect him to wind up in the outskirts of Trump land as some rich MAGA's security chief. I assume Tony Ornato will be available when the riots in the streets begin. Also on the Trump periphery, a widely misreported story yesterday that needs clarification. What you heard was a judge had ordered the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, to testify to the grand jury looking into Trump's attempt to erase the vote in that state. In fact, the judge did not do that. The judge agreed to Kemp's request that he should not have to testify at all until after the election, but left open the question as to whether or not Kemp would do so even then. He may not testify after the election. And still we hear the question, why did Trump steal stuff? Last night, a microscopic part of an answer that fits perfectly. Remember July 13th, 2017? Where were you and who were you with when you first were embarrassed by Trump's state visit to France? Roughly the 373rd time Trump had embarrassed us. Remember he praised the French First Lady Brigitte Macron for being in, quote, such good shape? Rolling Stone reporting last night that they have two sources who have identified what is in item 1A on the Mar-a-Lago search list, openly labeled only as Info Ray President of France. Quote, Trump has bragged to some of his closest associates, both during and after his time in the White House, the magazine reports, that he knew illicit details about the love life of French President Emmanuel Macron. Of course, explains the such good shape remark. Continuing, the former president even claimed that he learned about some of this dirt through, quote, intelligence, unquote, he had seen or been briefed on, those sources say. Since 2015, there have been 10,000 explanations of Trump from psychopathy to venereal disease. Then you hear a story like this about the Macrons, and you remember, Trump is just a scumbag. Still ahead on Countdown, reports that NBC News may be about to kick Chuck Todd off Meet the Press. Hallelujah! I will commend Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan for publicly admitting they're afraid of the vaccination needle. Mike Lindell is the saddest election lunatic you will ever hear. And he got a lot sadder over the weekend, as it turns out. And 25 years ago, the terrible news came from Paris. And ever since, American news has been terrible. That's next. This is Countdown. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. 
I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, are they about to fire Chuck Todd from Meet the Press? That's the rumor. Plus, I'd like to commend Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan for being so public about being so afraid of the vaccination needles. Boo-boos are big things. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. We go to Nebraska and Givenchy. If you follow Gideon, the I've Pet That Dog guy on Twitter, he mentioned her yesterday. Givenchy is 67 pounds, boxer, terrier, pibble mix, Smart as a whip, very active, loves puzzles and kongs, and needs an adults-only home and a lot of space to run around in, in Nebraska. To find out more about Givenchy and how you can contribute to possibly getting her adopted, check my Twitter feed for dogs in need, at Tom Jumbo Grumbo. Look for the tweet about Givenchy. And if you can't donate, just retweeting it could make a huge difference. wonder if she pronounces it Givenchy. And thank you very much. Coming up on Countdown, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers doesn't like me. Somebody really doesn't like Nikki Haley based on the gift they gave her. And 25 years ago tonight was when the sad details came in from Paris. Diana was dead. It was also the end of the decency, if any remained, of the news industry. Coming up, first postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. (laughs) 
Stateline Philadelphia, somebody likes that word semi-fascism. President Biden will speak in prime time in front of Independence Hall Thursday night. Topic, the continued battle for the soul of the nation. Keep going. Drop the semi. Meanwhile, bizarre Biden poll news from Rasmussen reports from the people who invented ESPN, then sold it for some magic beans and a quarter. Rasmussen skews plus five, plus 10, sometimes plus 20 for the Republican. It has Biden's approval at 45 percent. Dateline 30 Rock is Chuck Todd finally out as host of Meet the Press. The Daily Beast's media newsletter, Confider, says the reported shift of the executive producer of the NBC Both Sidesism Fest was in fact demoted over bad ratings, down 21% in a year. Quoting NBC White House correspondent Kristen Welker is being groomed to replace Todd, multiple insiders with knowledge of the matter said. Reporter Lachlan Cartwright quotes one insider as saying, at what point does anyone have the balls to say maybe the problem is the face of it? The correct answer to that question is 2015. Dateline Louisville, we're not in a recession. So says Mitch McConnell. On August 1st, the Senate minority leader said we were in a recession. Yesterday at a news conference, McConnell announced that Democratic spending measures are, quote, likely to lead next to a recession. Why, that means we've come out of a recession. Thank you, Mitch. Dateline Washington, the Dinesh D'Souza pile of crap in a book cover called 2,000 Mules has been recalled by the publisher. Regnery, the vanity press for the fascist set, has put out an alert to all booksellers, a full recall with a big red exclamation point on it. It got to Walmart and from Walmart to author Nancy Levine, Regnery saying only it was erroneously published too soon that 2,000 Mules named Dinesh D'Souza was not supposed to come out today, but rather on October 25th. Uh-huh. Could you have gotten made up a better excuse for this? My God. To steal an old Chevy Chase Saturday Night Live joke, they will skip the traditional paperback edition and go directly to one printed on confetti. Dateline Gettysburg, more evidence that the Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, is not loyal to this country. First, it was the 2013 photo of him in a Confederate uniform. Now video surfaces of him thanking passersby in 2020 for supposedly defending the statue in Gettysburg of Robert E. Lee. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, ah, the last days of August, the U.S. Open, the start of that two weeks when America pretends it still cares about tennis. It still cares about Serena Williams. After that, I, I, I don't know. After a sluggish start, Serena opened what is supposed to be her swan song last night with a 6-3, 6-3 blowout of Danka Kovinic. Nothing would serve tennis better in this country than Serena Williams running the table and winning the Open and then retiring as hinted, at least until tennis realized that she was actually retired and its next most famous player is... Also, President Clinton was there at Arthur Ashe Stadium last night, seated next to Dr. Ruth Westheimer, the sex expert from the 80s and 90s. No, I'm not kidding. He, she wanted to make sure that Clinton was using some form of condominium. 
You know how old she is? She's 206. Actually, she's 94. Football ESPN reports Jimmy Garoppolo will not be traded by the 49ers that they've restructured their deal with the quarterback. Oh, and also nobody wanted to trade for him. Speaking of quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers fesses up as the New York Daily News puts it, quote, Rodgers has finally admitted publicly that he purposely misled the media and public last year about his COVID-19 vaccination status. After first applying for an exemption from the NFL's inoculation requirement last year, Rodgers told Joe Rogan Saturday he intentionally gave a vague, misleading answer to queries about whether he had received the shots. Last November, after declaring himself, quote, immunized, Rogers continued to sow confusion by appearing at press conferences maskless, which players had to be vaccinated in order to do, end quote from the Daily News. But this is where it got strange. In that thing with Rogan, Rogers added, quote, I lost the majority of allies I thought I had in the media. People just said, just get the jab. The Keith Olbermans of the world, just get the damn jab. This happened on Saturday. I went and looked. Since February, I have sent one tweet mentioning Aaron Rodgers, and I've mentioned Aaron Rodgers once on this podcast. And I am living in his head rent-free, as the kids say. Shrug emoji! I'm a little worried about Aaron's self-destruction. First, there was the fake sage stuff about not getting vaccinated. Then he lied about getting vaccinated. Then he spat out the whole, oh, I'm a critical thinker who did my own research cliches. Then he pushed quack cures on the Joe Rogan three-hour torture experience. Then he talked about how he couldn't permit unknown substances into his great athletic body. Then he admitted he'd taken the Panchakarma cleanse, which involves having unknown substances shot into your veins, nose, and rectum. Then he admitted that last year he drank ayahuasca tea, which is full of a hallucinogenic Schedule 1 drug called DMT. Then he said the tea allowed him to, quote, see how to unconditionally love myself. And it was the reason he, quote, felt myself merge with the ocean. You civilians may not be familiar with that term, felt myself merge with the ocean. You civilians may call that drowning. Anyway, Rogers gets done dragging me onto the Joe Rogan three-hour torture experience, which I've never actually heard in its entirety because, well, I have a job. And now Joe Rogan, who I had to look up to confirm he was the same guy who was on that funny Phil Hartman, Dave Foley sitcom news radio, and they put him on there because if a show is always funny for the whole half hour, it exhausts you. So you need to have one guy who is a break from being entertained. So they put this Rogan guy on. Now he starts talking about me. This clip is uh, used, I'm going to use here, is courtesy of the Joe Rogan three-hour torture experience. Now, I put that through uh, Google Translate, and it came out, that guy, Rogan said, referring to me, is the gift that keeps giving. Rogan added... Now, I'm told that translates as, again, it's about me, quote, he is effing hilarious, although he didn't say effing, apparently, unintentionally hilarious, like he's a character in a movie. I have time for one one, uh, one more quote from, from Joe Rogan. Again, my thanks to Google Translate, quote, that means I love it. I hope he keeps talking. Thank you, Joe. I hope you keep talking, too, or whatever that sound is coming out of your mouth. 
But sincerely, I'm rooting for you, Joe Rogan, and for Aaron Rodgers, too, to get over your fear of that tiny little vaccination needle. I mean, I think it's an honorable thing to go out and spend three hours every day confessing to the world, admitting to everybody that you're willing to risk your life and the lives of others by not taking a simple shot like you do for the flu or at the dentist's. I mean, there are brave people out there like the nurses and doctors who treated people with COVID-19 before we had the vaccine. But to me, they're just, well, they're just, you knows, compared to the great Joe Rogan and the wonderful Aaron Rodgers, who will step in front of microphones and lie through their teeth and try to push bullcrap fake cures and support bullcrap fascist politicians and do it again and again and make millions off of it and alienate all of their fans and supporters and just tacitly address the fact that they are afraid, scared, terrified of a one-inch-long, five one-hundred-and-twenty-sevenths of an inch thick needle. Only real men like Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers can admit in public that they are afraid of physical pain. Bravo, gentlemen. This is how it started with O'Reilly, right? Still ahead, the night Diana died. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, me. I managed to fix this in the timestamps in the description for yesterday's show, but it was too late to fix the actual error. I called Lorraine Bracco Elaine. I don't have an explanation for this. I really do know her. As I've said, we, we've ridden on the same subway together, both of us standing. And, and you know, I've, I also pushed the wrong buttons loading Monday's podcast. So if you were wondering why it wasn't there until like 9 Eastern, me, I screwed it up. Of course, if I screwed it up today again with this episode, at least at least you don't know it, do you? Our runner-up, Nikki Haley, the former completely lost U.N. ambassador, got outed by somebody, a list of donors to her dark money group, Stand for America, Inc., has been published by Politico. Usual suspects, including casino mogul Sheldon Adelson, who is dead, but who's still donating, trying to ruin the country. Also the co-founder of Home Depot and the Ricketts family and the Glenn Youngkin family. They made all their money in red vests. And most notably, New Jersey health exec Vivek Garipali. He and his mom gave a million. Politico also reports, quote, Garipali gifted Haley New York Knicks tickets valued at nearly $20,000. $20,000 worth of Knicks tickets? So that's what? 40,000 tickets? But our winner, Mike Lindell, he wants you to know you missed his conference. The the moment of truth the moment of truth summit in Springfield, Missouri over the weekend that proved that Trump won and you missed it because the search engine censored him it's the aftermath of one of the most important events in our country's history I will tell you this what I have learned since then this weekend we had Google Yahoo, Bing DuckDuck, 
All the search engines worked against us there. Ask Jeeves is the real culprit here, Mike. It's that bastard Ask Jeeves. Lindell says he bought ad words on all the search engines, so if you searched his name or the event, his ad would pop up with full instructions on how to watch and what to believe. And if you need a laugh, listen to Mike's excuse to himself why nobody saw his ad words. Google and all them took away my ability to buy those ads. I expected to come in this morning, I'd have $200,000 in bills from all them ad words. Everybody talking about it and spreading the word. Less than $100, everybody. (laughs) Less than $100, everybody. Maybe they used the wrong discount code at Pillow Checkout, Mike. Wasn't the new one this weekend My Treason? Mike, why won't people watch this? The 239th different time I've said I'd prove election fraud, Lindell. Today's worst person in the world! NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, to our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me, and things I promise not to tell. The date on the death certificate was Sunday, August 31st, 1997. But because of the time difference, the news was known here very late on the night of Saturday, August 30th, 1997. It was the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. And please do not misunderstand me. I'm not equating anything that happened to me around that time with what happened to her or what happened to those who loved her or what happened to those who simply admired her from afar. But in retrospect... I can see that Saturday night as a demarcation point in the history of news in this country. Three nights earlier, I had watched them pack the last of my stuff into the van at my home in Southington, Connecticut, where I had lived for five and a half years while I did ESPN's Sports Center. Great show, much of it great fun, a great partner, great house, four bedrooms, 3,000 square feet, heated swimming pool, house fact system, $351,000. All that was great. Not really a great life. I was on my way to a new life at MSNBC. Thursday was a photo shoot for Esquire. They dressed me up like Austin Powers. I didn't get it then. I don't get it now. Then an interview with TV Guide, and then suddenly an invitation from my old friend and new boss, Phil Griffin, to come join him and his family for a long weekend in the Hamptons. I had never been there. It was not the kind of thing I did. It was Long Island. I was from Westchester. But they were willing to pay. And it was spectacular. Even though my accommodations consisted of a converted garage, the bed and breakfast part of the home of a woman who had had her own show on Channel 2 in New York 43 years previously and whose walls were filled with mementos from it. I thought briefly and with a shudder, that's what my walls are going to look like in 2040 if I live that long. Well, it's not 2040 yet, and I haven't lived that long, but I'm happy to tell you there are dozens of photos and art covering my walls, and only one of them is a memento of an old TV show I did. But the point was and is taken. Anyway, a nice meal with the Griffins at their Hamptons full house rental on Friday. A warm day spent at a pristine beach on Saturday. Pronounced good with kids by Phil's wife. And then we went across the bay to the Hamptons home of Jeff Zucker, then the head of the Today Show and the de facto operational head of all of NBC News. We dined on his balcony overlooking the water. We watched the fireworks overlooking the water, and we were just having a nightcap on this vast lawn of his overlooking the water. My memory tells me the lawn was approximately the size of the field at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, and there were huge lights hanging off the house, which seemed nearly as strong as the lights at Dodger Stadium. And then suddenly, everybody's phone rang. Summer ended in three seconds. There were still pagers in those days. Those went off, too. You could even hear phones ringing in the distance, creating something akin to a strange buzzing concert. My God, 
Zucker shouted. Princess Di is dead. Now he and Phil Griffin began to pace across that giant lawn. Another phone rang, and Zucker now had one pinned to each ear. Standing some distance away with Phil Griffin's wife, I noticed how quickly Griffin and Zucker synced up. They were walking towards each other, crossing each other's paths, then walking side by side, and then veering off in opposite directions as if there had been a choreographer somewhere. Phil's wife and I were equally disgusted, not so much at her husband and Zucker, but at the circumstances of Diana's death. 48 hours earlier, the interviewer from TV Guide had actually asked me what my first questions would be for my hypothetical guests, Nelson Mandela and Sean Penn. My abstract concepts of the news, my new career, were about news I watched or listened to, like uh, PBS or NPR or the all-news radio stations in New York or Washington when the atmospheric conditions were right in Bristol, Connecticut. And my favorite news-related show, British Prime Minister's Question Time. This was not what I heard Phil Griffin and Jeff Zucker arranging in the wake of Diana's death throwing out large offers to self-announced royal experts and accident analysts and people who knew Dodi Fayed and even some of the photographers in the cars chasing Diana's into the tunnel when it crashed, offering them large sums of money to make themselves available exclusively to MSNBC for the duration and booking whole planes full of reservations to send everybody from the Today Show to the funeral. Now, look, I was 37 years old then. I already understood these were the necessary logistical moves of smart executives. Sad and terrible things happened, and people still had to go on and cover them. But there was something exceptionally callous and cold about the choreographed dance I was watching. As I said to Phil's wife, the tabloid media has been chasing celebrities for years, and tonight they finally got one. She nodded, but punched me in the shoulder and corrected me. We finally got one. You are part of we now. Well, that in turn made me think about quitting on the spot. My agent was on the West Coast. It was not that late there, and soon I joined Griffin and Zucker. Zucker was on his third different phone by then, pacing on that lovely lawn while telling my agent that maybe we should take the ABC boss, Bob Iger, up on his offer. He said if I ever wanted to go back to ESPN, I should just call. What do you think, I asked my agent. Too soon? The next week was all Diana, leading up to the funeral overnight Friday, anchored on NBC and MSNBC, I think, by Katie Couric, who actually told the audience that some random British woman was, in fact, the model Cindy Crawford. She wasn't Cindy Crawford. This passing, forgotten, trivial mistake seemed to me to be emblematic of what Diana's death had done in an instant to the business I was just getting into. Suddenly, the last few years of television news had clarified themselves and a timeline had emerged in my mind. I had gone to work for CNN at the start of its second year, 1981. Yes, we were already in color. We used to have a weather report, a sportscast, a business update, and a science and medicine story every hour. But by 1995, CNN and everybody else had learned... Just find one story and pound it into the ground 24-7 if you can and dress it up so that the viewer does not feel dirty for having watched it. That first story in 1995 was the O.J. Simpson trial, and while it was nominally a genuinely important story about a huge public figure, people forget that, 
a huge public figure, sportscaster, and actor murdering his wife. That's not what they covered at the O.J. Simpson trial. They were covering every salacious detail. They were covering literally every blood stain. They were covering interracial marriage. They were pitting whites against blacks. They were sometimes, I saw it happen, making up bombshell stories. And all the people now running MSNBC, which I was joining in its second year, were those who had covered themselves in glory or covered themselves in something at the OJ trial. It is not coincidental that one media organization was discussed by the judge, Lance Ito, for doing a fair job of covering the O.J. Simpson trial. That organization was ESPN Sports Center. Anyway, television news has never been the same. There was some argument for 24-7 coverage of the Simpson trial because it was a daily thing. Diana was dead, and for a month it was treated as if it had happened an hour earlier. Cable news... By this point, CNN, CNN Headline, Fox, and MSNBC now began to look for 24-7 stories, or in their absence, to create them. The death of the Colorado little girl, John Benet Ramsey, every missing white woman in America, even the Clinton Lewinsky story. I often did two live shows a night about the Clinton Lewinsky story, even when there hadn't been any actual news in a week or 10 days. If something happened, if some tidbit was reported by the Washington Post when all the news sites updated for the only time all day at 11 p.m. Eastern, yes, that's how computers worked back then, we might stay on for two or three extra hours to discuss this one sentence in the revised Washington Post story again and again and again. We retrained TV audiences to fixate on one story at a time especially if that story involved somebody famous. That, in turn, magnified the celebrity element of all of American life. It explains in part everything that has happened since Diana died, from the Clinton story to the lionization of the generals after 9-11, through the rise of Barack Obama, and, of course, the election of Trump. I did not ultimately quit my new MSNBC show a month before it was to premiere. The next morning, I took a bus back to New York and vowed to, as I put it in my diary, do a show that would expose tabloidism and be upright at whatever cost to atone that I should be involved, however distantly, in a business that could, in essence, kill three people, including the most beloved woman in the world. Nice thought. Didn't happen. We did the first show a month later, October 1st, 1997. Phil Griffin was the producer. Half the time was consumed by a roundtable of four celebrity journalists and gossips. When I tried to draw them out on the media's responsibility to the people in these stories, a voice talked to me through my earpiece. It was Phil Griffin, and he was shouting, Forget that! Ask them who killed John Benet Ramsey! I've done all the damage I can do here. This is where I ask you to rate and review the podcasts. Tell them they're great. Why? The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. 
Musical comments throughout by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. And our announcer today was Tony Kornheiser. That's Countdown for this, the 601st day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. A new episode tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.